Hello, everybody, and welcome to the latest episode of the Just End the Suffering podcast, featuring New York sports talk for a long-suffering fan. I'm your host, Mike Phillips. i got a good show for you this week. We're going to dive back into the Stanley Cup playoffs with our hockey guy, Pete Consadori. The second round of the playoffs has been wild. Pete's got some takes. We're going to take a look at all these series, set the conference finals, which will kick off later this week, and that will be coming up later in the show. I also have my first interview with an active athlete on the podcast coming today. I talked to former Iona Gales guard Steve Burt Jr., who is the second all-time leading scorer in Iona history. He has played a long and successful professional career overseas. My interview with Steve, you'll hear that in a little bit, is to help promote a team of former Iona alums called Gale Nation playing in the TBT basketball tournament. We'll have more about that in the next couple of weeks. We'll start that interview with Steve today. Make sure you're locked into the end of the show for this week's two-minute drill, where I offer my take on the controversial ending to the Kentucky Derby, where maximum security, which crossed the line in first place, was disqualified from the race. And we have a brand new winner. As a result, it changed the whole course of the racing season. A lot of money changed hands. Break it all down at the end of the show. But we'll get started with our opening tip, which is why my beloved New York Mets, they're in some trouble, folks. I'll break it all down right after this. And a base hit in the right field. The it. Here comes Grand Dahl. Throw to the plate. And the Brewers win it. A six-hit night for Ryan Braun. And he locks it up. All right, and we are back with this week's opening tip. That call is her courtesy of Fox Sports Wisconsin. Ryan Braun's walk-off hit in the 18th inning. Marathon win over the Mets. The Mets get swept over the weekend in Milwaukee. And boy, oh boy, they're in trouble, folks. There is a crisis in Flushing right now. I know it's only May. The Mets are 16-18. There's still a lot of baseball left. Still got five, over five months of baseball left to go. But there are some warning signs here, folks they could be in some big trouble. They started this year 5-1. and 5-1. and one. Since then, they have gone just 11-17 and 17 over their next 26 games. 7-14, and 14, last 21. That's not good, folks. The offense has stopped hitting. That's a big problem. Apart from Pete Alonzo, who is ridiculous, and Jeff McNeil, who says he gets three hits every time he takes the field, who else on this team can buy a hit right now? Right now, it's saying 200. Robinson Cano has been in a massive slump for weeks now. You have guys like Wilson Ramos, who's just hitting singles. He's not really getting extra base hits right now. Todd Frazier at the Grand Slam hasn't done much since he returned from the DL. They sent Dom Smith down to bring a Danny Hatchavria up, and that's unfair, unfair because Smith was actually producing when he was here. They brought Hatchavria up to help the defense because that also is abysmal. I'm in Rosario. All the talk we heard about him coming in the minors, about how he was a great defensive shortstop, he would win gold gloves, a true five-tool player. He has been lousy this year in the field. He's already committed nine errors, which is ridiculous. He had 16 all last year. He's committed nine in about six weeks of baseball, which is pretty crazy. And now he can't catch throws in the outfield. The other day, in the in that 18-inning game, in extra innings, somebody in Milwaukee hits a line shot into the gap get a great throw in the infield, the guy would have been dead by about half the baseline length. Rosario dropped the ball. The guy gets in. And he's make, he misses routine plays. That's a huge problem counting on your shortstop to make plays like that. And he's not even making the simple ones. And Keon Broxton, don't get me started on him. Sunday, Milwaukee, he's in there with the C lineup because the Mets are saying, you know, we're going to pump this game. We'll go to San Diego. We need Vargas to go deep, blah, 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 blah. He's in there in right field, and he's in there for his defense, which is the reason the Mets traded for him. He gets turned around on a routine fly ball, turns a what should be a sure out into a double. Three runs score that inning. The Mets end up losing 3-2. Not great. And the one thing we had a warning about, the one thing we worried about as Mets fans end this year, where is the pitching depth? And, of course, they're starting to get hurt. I'm recording this on Monday. Jason Vargas, Steven Matz, both beer heading the injured list. Matz apparently has been pitching with nerve irritation in his elbow for a couple of weeks now, but 
He finally said something about it. They sent him to New York to get checked. It's not a big deal. He's going on the injured list. Jason Vargas, who stinks still, by the way. You know, he pitched decently in Milwaukee yesterday. He's not been good. He's not gotten more than five or third innings at any start this year. He's going on the injured list because he hurt his hamstring yesterday. So, of course, he couldn't even give the Mets length when they were willing to let him just take one of the team. That's a whole other issue. But the Mets today had to trade for Wilmer Font, who has a 579 ERA with the Rays. And the Rays know they're pitching. If the Rays are willing to part with the guy, they must not think he's good. They are asking Mets for the player name later or cash considerations, which means it's basically just a dump for the Rays. The Mets had to trade for this guy because they needed pitching desperately. And right now, who is their rotation depth? Drew Gagneau is probably pitching on Wednesday. That's not good. Corey Oswald stinks. Chris Flexen has not been good. And you know what? The Mets are lucky right now that their division has been terrible. Nobody's pulling away from this division, but it's not going to stay that way forever. And I had to give Brody Van Wagens a lot of criticism here. Remember back in the offseason, back in January, after they signed Jed Lowry, Brody goes out to the media and says, come get us. We're the favorites in the division. With this kind of pitching depth, I don't know how he ever thought he'd get away with that kind of statement. Let's go to Flexen for a minute. Flexen, who all we heard about in spring training was, He's lost weight. He's throwing harder now. He'll be great. Cannot throw a strike on Saturday night in Milwaukee when he's the last guy out of the bullpen having to go extra innings. And they gave him the lead, by the way. The Mets gave him a 3-2 lead in the top of the 18th inning. And he said to Chris Lexon, here you go. Just get three outs and get a win. Walk the ballpark. How I get Angel Hernandez did not help him out against Travis Shaw because he basically should have struck him out. But Hernandez called every pitch he threw a ball. But he cannot find the strike zone. That's not good. The Mets wasted opportunity after opportunity to get pitching depth in the offseason. They said, you know, we're fine with Chris Flexen. We're fine with Chris or Corey Oswalt. We're fine with Walker Lockett and Hector Santiago. We haven't heard from at all since they went to the minor leagues. I know Lockett is hurt. Santiago's got to be better than what they have here. That's for sure. And you know why they didn't get any pitching? Because Brody decided, infinite wisdom, we're going to give Travis Darno who missed the entire year last year with Tommy John surgery. $4 million to be the backup catcher. What happened with Travis Darno? He got 23 at-bats and was cut. That's how bad he was. The Mets couldn't find anybody to take it. They eat all that money, and now he's in the Dodgers. The, you know what the Mets could have done with that $4 million? They could have given it to Gio Gonzalez. They had a proven arm in that rotation. They could have given it to Clay Buckholtz who at least has experience in the big leagues and gives them depth and somebody that can just plug in if somebody gets hurt or the predictable that Vargas stinks. Speaking of Mr. Vargas, what on earth did this man do to have a mortal lock on a spot in the rotation? Last year's ERA was almost six. Besides being a CAA client, we know how much Brody loves the CAA guys. What did he do to say, you know what? He's the guy. There is no competition. He is the fifth starter. That cost them Gio Gonzalez because Gio basically said the other day in an interview, he said, it came down to the Mets and the Brewers. The Mets offered me more money, but Milwaukee said I would start. And they put incentives on my contract to make sure that I would get paid if I started. The Mets knew weeks ago that Mats had an issue with his forearm. Why on earth would they not guarantee Gio Gonzalez a starting rotation spot? Vargas Earl is not pitching like somebody was worthy rotation spot. All you have to do is say, Jason, look, we know you're here. You're going to go work in the bullpen. You'll be the long guy. You'll work some multiple inning stints for us because, as we've seen, once you get past the second time through the order with him, he's terrible. Everybody hits him after the second time through the order. Put him out there. Have me the long man. And then if somebody gets hurt, you know what? You're back in the rotation. And if this would have been the case, Gia would have been in there. Matt gets hurt. Vargas comes in. That's better than Corey Oswald or Chris Flexen or some of these other guys. But nope, we had to pay Travis Darno. And we also know the bullpen was a problem. And that we knew the depth was sketchy before Jerry Sermilia got hurt, before Justin Wilson got hurt. But now we're back to the end of 2018. When you have Tim Peterson, Drew Gagneau, Flexen, 
Tyler Bassler, you name it, all these unproven guys being asked to get big outs for this team. I'm sorry, you need to build a roster better than that. When you know you're in a league that's very competitive and a division that's brutally competitive, the Braves, the Nationals, and the Phillies all have a shot to win it, just like you do. And I give them, the schedule's been hard. But that 18-inning game against Milwaukee, that loss, we could be looking back on that in a couple weeks and say, that was Waterloo. That was where the ship started to sink. That was where the season ended for the Mets, where they blew that game, they went in a tailspin, and they still have a rough road here. They have three in San Diego this week. They come home for a three-game set against the Marlins, and they're back on the road again to Washington Miami. The schedule's not been kind. They need to tread water and need to survive right now. If they don't, this year's going to be over far quicker than anybody could hope for. And that's a bad look for Brody when he's saying, come get us in February. You didn't put the right team together, Brody. Met fans have been arguing for weeks, where's the pitching depth? Now you're getting burned. All right, up next, we're going to talk some hockey with Pete Considori right after this. So Niederreiter, a lone ranger, dumps it in. Leonard cut off by Ajo. In front, they score! Justin Williams! And Carolina has a one-goal lead. Look at that stick by Ajo. Knocks it down right in front to Justin Williams. And a tremendous finish. Off a great feed by Ajo to give the Carolina Hurricanes a 3-2 lead. All right, we are back. That call you guys heard. Justin Williams scoring the go-ahead goal in game number three of the Carolina Hurricanes sweep over the New York Islanders in the NHL Stanley Cup playoffs. All right, it's time to check in on the hockey again. So, of course, Pete Considori is back with us to talk hockey. Pete, how are you? What's going on? Uh, yeah, I'm doing well. What a what a playoff series. Yeah, what a playoffs uh, what in a, general. <laughs> yeah, no, yeah. Well, you were talking about the Hurricanes, but like, what, what a playoff series by them, and and what a playoffs in general. Just like you said, but it's uh, it's great to be back as always. Yeah, I love talking hockey with you, Pete. So, let's start with the Islanders. Who last time you said they you were not feeling great about them getting through. So, obviously, I'm sure you were a little happier if they got swept. So. It, you know, I, I was texting you about this a couple <laughs> days ago, maybe yesterday. It, as a sports fan, as a Ranger fan, I am so happy they got swept yeah. because I don't like the Islanders. But if I was an Islander fan, I would be devastated. So yeah. much respect out to the Islander fans. Uh, much respect out to the organization to, to have a season that they did. Uh, they weren't expected to do well without Tavares. They weren't expected to do well um, in general, and they and, – and they've had a hell of a season, so uh, definitely a bright future to look forward to for the New York Islanders. The comparison I make to is I feel like it's a couple, like a couple of years ago when the Rangers were in the division of hell. They got to the other side of the bracket. They beat, I think, was it Montreal the first round or something like that? And then they went and played Ottawa, a team they should have beaten, and they lost in six games. So they're yeah. kind of similar to that in me. Yeah, I mean, was this recently? Was this the recent? That was the last time they had the playoffs. Yeah, yeah, I was at that game. Yeah. They got eliminated. Yeah. Thanks for bringing that up. Sorry. Appreciate that. <laughs> no, yeah, so we um, – yeah, it's a it's a good it's a good analogy, but but the Rangers, I feel like that was at the tail end of their playoff run. Yeah, you know seasons. You know this yep. is like a start for the New York Islanders. Yeah. This is this is their, um, this is their moment to really maybe get some good acquisitions here in the off season. Um, try to work up uh, work on some new young players. See what they get in the draft as well. They're not a high high pick, but they'll be in the draft first round. So let's see if they can get a good first round pick. Um, you know, they still have Noah Dobson and they still have Wallstrom in the system. Uh, I feel like people forget about that. If they add those two in the next couple of years with all the talent that they have now, they're, they're going to be a powerhouse. And they, they are right now. I mean, they were they were one of the teams that we didn't expect to lose in the playoffs. Yeah. We thought they were going to go all the way or, or pretty far. Um, I had a different opinion, of course. But, yeah, no, it's it's a good analogy. But I think they're just starting. I think they have another another good few years in them that'll that'll be really uh, competitive what do you think went wrong for them in this series you think it was just the fact that they had the long layoff and never really got back into it I think that's what happened but I also think they were playing a Pittsburgh Penguins team that wasn't really at their best uh mm-hmm. Sidney Crosby was shut down the entire series they got swept I think maybe the Islanders maybe got a little bit on their high horse you no know, thinking oh we swept the Penguins one of the best playoff teams in this past decade um 
and you know maybe they didn't think that the Hurricanes would come at them, come at them as hard. I also think the venue had a lot to do with it. Um, I don't think the Islanders like playing in the Barclays Center. I don't like fans like seeing them in the Barclays Center. I think having that home ice advantage in Nassau the first round really amped their game up, um, and then they had like a week off, and then they went back to Brooklyn, um, and they got swept. You know, first two games, and then the next two games in Carolina. So. I don't think it was a player per se. I don't think it was a team effort. I think overall they played a Penguins team that wasn't really all there um, this playoff series. And, you know, I, th- I think playing in Nassau really gave them a boost. Yeah, for sure. And now, and that, they probably yeah. underestimated the Carolina Hurricanes too. Sorry to interrupt. They, no. they, they probably underestimated them say, oh, it's the Carolina Hurricanes. They, you know, they barely got in. They squeaked in. So, yeah, the the Hurricanes, I mean, they've had a hell of a playoffs. I mean, they, they took the Capitals out. They sweeped the Islanders away after going seven games the first round. So, like... They had a long first yeah. round, and, yeah. they, and they beat the Capitals. Yeah. The, the the reigning Stanley Cup champions they beat in seven games. Um, that's huge. And, 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 and they rode that. They rode that through the series with the Islanders. I'm curious to see how they take on Boston, because they took down two powerhouses in the beginning. They got through the Washington Capitals. They got through the New York Islanders. Now they're going to an Atlantic Division team who's who's been winning. Uh, they've gone six, seven games, though, every se- uh, series. So who knows? Charlie McAvoy might be out a couple games with the questionable hit that he had. Um, so we'll uh, we'll see what, what goes on in that series, and I'm sure we'll preview that too in the show. Yeah, for sure. Before we get there, let's recap this Bruin, this Bruins series with your favorite team, the Columbus Blue Jackets. So mm-hmm. the Bruins knocked them out. They, they went in six games, so... Do you, I, I, do you think the Bruins are the Cup favorites at this point? I I don't want to say definitely yes. I mean, obviously, look at the way they're playing. You, yeah. you you think they were. I mean, we thought that the Toronto Maple Leafs were Cup favorites. We thought that the Tampa Bay Lightning were Cup favorites. You just you never know. Like I could sit here and tell you that you know next year the Buffalo Sabers are going to be Cup favorites if they make it to the playoffs. It's it just it's so unpredictable. From the way they're playing, yeah, they could be Cup Cup favorites. But I think the Carolina Hurricanes. Um, have something different than they do, and I think that's the doubtfulness of their team. A lot of people are like, oh, they had that storm surge. Uh, Don Cherry's calling them a bunch of jerks. They rode with that, and they they created this like tight-knit community um, within their fans and also their team. And in the locker room, I feel like that is going to be put on the ice during the series. So I, the Boston Bruins may not get to the cup final. It might be the Carolina Hurricanes. It might be, and we'll touch on the Blue Jackets for a minute because, as you called, they did not get through. They lost to the Bruins, so we're at that point now where everybody's coming a free agent for them. Did they get far enough to justify the cost of getting all those guys? First of all, before I go on my little rant, and it's going to be a calm rant. Yeah. Past couple rants weren't. Maybe I'll get a little heated. Um, first of all, congrats to the Blue Jackets organization. Uh, I mean, they swept the Tampa Bay Lightning, who was the cup favorite. They went six games with the Boston Bruins. Um not a bad season for them, uh, but I don't consider this a win for the Blue Jackets fans. I don't consider this a win for the organization when it comes to everything that they put at stake. So as a fan, if the New York Rangers decided to not sign free agents or top free agents, stuff like that, and go all in on other free agents after this year and they didn't win the cup, what, what was it for? What what exactly did did the GM of the Blue Jackets think was going to happen if they didn't win the cup? Because what's going to happen now is you have four major players on that team that are, I think, UFAs. Um, you have Bobrovsky, you have Panarin, now you have Duchesne and Dezingle as well. So let's say all four of them don't sign. I don't think they're signing all four of them, but let's say all four of them don't sign. You have Seth Jones. You have Zach Rowenski, you have Kim Atkinson, Felino. You have you have a good group. Who's your goaltender? What's going to happen now? I feel like they went all in and they didn't really think this through because now this was their year to do it. They didn't do it. What's next year going to look like if Bobrovsky goes down to Florida? Okay. If Panarin goes down to Florida with him because he likes playing under Joe Quenville? Um, so... Like I said before, Blue Jacket fans, uh, it's great that you guys had this run. But next year is probably going to be rough if you don't at least get two of those pieces back, which I don't think they will. I think at the most they might get Dezingle. Yeah. I don't think Panarin's going to stay. I don't think Bobrovsky's going to stay. Um, 
and Duchesne is up in the air, I don't think he's going to stay either. I, f- I feel like there's going to be a a, um, a major collapse. If Duchesne, Dezingle, and Panarin and Barassi wanted to be there and the GM could do it, they would have been signed already. Yeah. They would have been signed right when they got traded. They would have had a contract extension. So, um, you know, like I said, hell of a run, but I would worry about next year. Yeah, they have to worry about next year. We're also still worried about the West because the West has been wild. And as of this recording on Tuesday, <sighs> ne- both series are going to Game Seven. Neither one of them is made to the conference finals this, yet. This is this is insane. I <laughs> mean, if you want to watch playoff hockey, I believe it's tonight. Yeah. Um, you watch the Game Sevens tonight between the St. Louis Blues and the Dallas Stars and the San Jose Sharks versus the Colorado Avalanche. Everyone thought San Jose was going to clean up last night. Uh, uh, last night or two yeah. nights ago? Two yeah. nights ago. Yeah. Um, wait, was it last night? They were last night. Last night, yeah. Gee, I'm sorry, guys. Um, yeah, so last night, and the Avalanche came back to win in overtime. What a great game, too. I, It's tough. It's really tough. Um, I, You got to watch these Game 7s, folks. You got to watch them. Yeah, let's take a look at the, each series. Okay, so they're still going on. Like Sharks, Avalanche. Are you surprised that the Avalanche are still here? Um, a little bit. Yeah. Uh, I had the Sharks going to the Stanley Cup final in my preliminary bracket back when we did the pre-season preview show back in, uh, what was it, September, October. Yeah. Um, so, you know, Grubauer's been great. He was a two games and then cut, not cut, but two games and then sat for the Washington Capitals because Brayden Holpe was out playing them and they didn't do well their first two games of the first uh, round. He's been playing phenomenally. Martin Jones has been playing really well. Um, I think the Sharks need to cool off a bit. Um, And if you don't mind, I want to talk about how the Sharks got here in the first place because I feel like that's a controversial thing that happened that we couldn't cover. But Eric Carlson was yelling on the bench as players, everyone needs to just calm down. You're all playing together. We, we need some cohesiveness, and you need someone to make a play. You don't need someone screaming. Now, I don't know what Eric Carlson was screaming at. I could be completely off on this, but I don't think the guy next to you needs you screaming at him. He knows you messed up, or he knows that we need to get a goal, whatever. Like, you, you don't need it. So if the Avalanche ride this win into San Jose, um, and San Jose can't settle down, I think the Avalanche have a really good shot at moving forward. Um, let's talk about how the – San Jose Sharks even got here. Yeah. Back in the last game, I believe it was game seven, Yeah. Uh, playing the Golden Knights, Cody Eakin cross-checks, gives him a little shove Pavelski after a face-off. Normally in the NHL, you lose a face-off, you give him a little shove. It's nothing crazy. Um, a penalty could be called on it as a cross-check or an interference or whatever, um, but you give him a little shove. He goes a little off balance, runs into Paul Statsny. Paul Statsny... It hits him. He just kind of hits him back, and Joe Pavelski lands on his head, unfortunately. He starts bleeding from his head. It becomes a head injury. Now, I believe in the rules, any penalty that results in a head injury is automatically a five-minute major. Um, Cody Eakin goes to the box for this because he had the original cross-check. They were down, I think it was 3-1 or 3-zip, whatever it was. I could be wrong. I'm sorry. And the Sharks score like four goals in that five-minute major. Because when you score a goal in a major penalty, the guy doesn't come out of the box. You're on a constant power play for that amount of time, no matter how many times you score. That gets him back into the game. I believe it becomes 4-3 at that point. Vegas ties at 4-4. They win in overtime 5-4. If that penalty was not called, I don't think the San Jose Sharks make it into this round with the Colorado Avalanche. The Golden Knights were on top of their game. They were up 3-1, whatever it was, 3-0. In the third, second, whatever it was, and they got there. Even Joe Pavelski said it shouldn't have been a major. The guy who got hurt, yeah. but he'll take it. I mean, obviously, yeah. if you were Joe Pavelski, yeah, I'll take it. We're in the we're in the second round. So very controversial call. They are in it on a call by the refs. They're not in it from the way they were playing five on five. They got a boost. They all love Joe Pavelski, and obviously, I I hope Joe Pavelski's doing well. I haven't really heard much information about what the injury was, but. They literally rallied around their captain going down in a five-minute major situation to win that game. Could the Vegas Golden Knights have tried to kill it off better? Of course. Could Flurry play a little better? Of course. But you, you, you cannot say that that call did not change the tide of that game and the way that game went. So um, I wonder next year how when the GMs meet for rule changes and stuff like that, I wonder how this is going to play into their meetings before the next season and what constitutes a penalty-to-head injury combination. Yeah. Because 
he was off balance. If he wasn't off balance, you give him a little shove and he just he just skates back or or he stumbles along his land on his head. Again, I hope that Chobavelsi is doing well. I don't want to see anyone hurt. Um, but I just found that very interesting, that controversial call getting the Sharks into round two. Interesting. It sounds a lot like the Kentucky Derby, what happened there over the weekend. Where What was that about, <laughs> man? I didn't even know that was a thing. What, did they send it to Toronto to see, like, you know, the NHL does? I don't know. It's, it's weird. Yeah, I mean, I talk about that at the end. I'm going to talk about that at the end of the show. But basically what happens there is, like, they sort of found a rule violation after the thing, and they went to replay, and then the replay took 22 minutes and had to figure it out, and they pulled the winning horse out. And, <sighs> and now that's – like the country house get, would had that title and the shot of triple crown because of a disqualification, but it's not running in the practice now. So, so well, let's see what the San Jose Sharks. It's it's like it's you're right. It's just like that. So <laughs> yeah. wow, fun, fun timing. Oh yeah, <laughs> absolutely. Yeah, and that series game seven is tomorrow. Tonight's game seven. The Dallas Stars and the St. Louis Blues. The Stars had a chance to close this out, and then they had that weird, weird sequence at the end. And I think of the third period, game six, where. Ben Bishop gets the two goals in quick succession where he gets like he gets basically like hitting the collarbone with a shot on the first one, and then they left him out there for some stupid reason. They gives up the second one immediately. I, I'm gonna be honest with you, I don't know what if there's an injury there. Yeah. But wow. I, I'm I'm surprised he didn't shatter his collarbone yeah. from that shot. Yeah. I I mean that was a, a heck of a shot. Um I think it was Pareko yeah. that took that shot. So um, you know, the Blues Dallas Stars is probably the most evenly matched you're gonna see um in the second round. Uh when it comes to game sevens, uh, I think maybe Dallas has a little bit of advantage. And the reason why I'm saying that is because I want Zuccarello to win us a first-round pick. Um, but, uh, you know, it, 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 I have not much to say on this, only that it's been an incredible series, just like the rest of them. I mean, I haven't had a boring game of hockey since maybe the first round when the Islanders were just slapping the Penguins. I mean, I, I it's been it's been really fun to watch this second round. Um the stars really need Ben and Sagan to 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 step up. They have been, but this is the game for them to really have the a, a career game. Um, ben Bishop, if he's out or not, I'm sorry, I don't know. I don't want to give the wrong information. It's Anton Hudobin who's in. If if uh, Ben Bishop's out, so that'll be interesting to see if he starts Game Seven. Hudobin's been sitting for two rounds, um, so we don't we don't know how that's going to look. So St. Louis Blues. And both Dallas Stars and St. Louis Blues, what they need to do is just keep shooting the puck. Um, that's what the common theme for these playoffs were. Keep peppering shots in. Get 40, 45 shots on net. That's the only way you're going to beat a good goaltender is the volume of shots taken. Quality chances, too, but really get the pucks to the net. I know it's a tough t- like task here because there's still four teams in the West. So, like, if you had to pick one today and say who's getting to the cup final of the West, who is it? That's that's tough. I'm gonna I'm gonna say sharks. Yeah. Uh, the reason why I'm gonna say sharks is because I think uh, Grubauer is. Um, I, I don't know. I feel like I feel like Grubauer is not ready for this game seven. I I've, I've seen the way the sharks been playing, and I think you know I had to go to overtime that game. Uh, the Avalanche been playing really really well, but I think the sharks are kind of figuring out McKinnon a little bit too. So I think the sharks and I think the sharks go by. I think. They can get past a a. I think the St. Louis Blues do come out with this win against Dallas. As much as I want that first round pick, I do think the Blues are going to beat Dallas. I just don't think Bennington is going to be able to do another round and another round. You know, I don't I don't know if he's going to be able to hold up. He's just, it's rookie season. He's playing phenomenally. Uh, Vezina Trophy finalist there. I mean, there's a uh, excuse me Calder um, finalist there. So there's a reason, but. Um, I just don't, I just don't think he has it in him. He very well could be. I could be completely wrong, folks, but I think the Sharks still kind of go all the way if they could stay calm. If they can't, then the Avalanche have them beat. All right, let's go to the East. Real quick. The series we have set here: Boston, Carolina. What do you think is the big key for that series? The big key is going to be physicality on the Hurricanes' end. Um, Boston Bruins is a big, big team. They play hard. They play a little rough. Um, they need to maybe just maybe mess with Marshawn a little bit if they want to win, see if they can kind of drag him to do something that might get him a suspension. Uh, obviously, that's that's pretty messed up to do where you're trying to egg people on. But, you know, if, if Marshawn gets suspended because it's it's been it's been a thing in the past uh, of the past, he 
he's a big he's a hundred point guy this season. That's a big loss. Uh, you got to shut down Patrice Bergeron. Charlie McAvoy might be out. Like I said, he had a hit to the head against Columbus Blue Jackets last night. That could be a suspension because it was his shoulder and elbow to the head. Um, even if that's two games, that's a huge hit on the blue line. Char's got to be playing with someone else, maybe Brendan Carlo. So. I'm thinking for the Hurricanes, if they want to win, keep using that scoring and speed ability, but also they need to be a little more physical. The Boston Bruins can't be too much on their high horse and can't be too high on themselves because the Carolina Hurricane has proven that they could beat the Capitals, they could beat the New York Islanders, the two powerhouses in the East that were really dominating um, in the Metropolitan Division. They can't just be like, oh, it's the Carolina Hurricanes with Justin Williams. They're not going to do anything. They they could play, and they've proven it. Um Curtis McElhaney has been great in net, even though he hasn't played. Um, Peter Razik's been playing. He came in for Peter Razik when Peter Razik got hurt. So if Peter Razik comes back, they may stay with McElhaney. I don't know, but they've both been playing great. Goaltending has been great. Um, and for both teams, like I said in the other series in the West, just keep shooting the puck. Get the puck on net. Something's going to happen. Get a dirty goal, uh, you know, a garbage goal where there's someone in yeah. the front of the net and they smack at it and it goes in. That's what you're going to need in these series. Um Teams that are not putting up 45, 50 shots, which is a lot, like a lot, a lot, uh, against really good goaltenders, just not winning these series. So um, that's 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 my take on it. It's going to be a fun series. Let's also talk on other hurricane-related note that they made a big trade with the Rangers last week. They yes. Rangers get defenseman Adam Fox, the prospect, for a couple of picks in there. So how big a deal is it for the Rangers to get this guy? Um, I, I love this, this move. Um, we didn't have to get rid of a first-round pick. Yeah. Uh, we were going to get rid of, I believe, Winnipeg's first-round pick was one of the things. Uh, we gave up like a second-rounder and a third-round conditional, and the condition is he has to play 30 NHL games this season, which at third round you can have it if he plays yeah. 30 games because I, I, I like the way, he, the way he plays. I don't think he's overhyped like Jimmy Vc was. I think Jimmy Vc was just a tad overhyped with all this like all these teams going after him, whatever. I, I like this for our blue line because as Mark Stahl gets older and older, and I love Mark Stahl, I still think he shouldn't be on the team right now. I just, for some reason, I just, I can't get around why Mark Stoll's still on. I know we can't buy out his contract, but that's another issue. I think he's going to slide in nicely. Um, Shattenkirk needs to do better, obviously, for the Rangers, but just, just having like, even like a Fox Shea line, blue line, yeah. is just, oh, it's just, it's phenomenal. So I think it's big. We didn't have to give a first rounder up for it, and we signed him. We signed him to an entry level contract. Yeah. So I, I think that was a phenomenal move by RGM. Yeah. Be fun watching the Rangers build this summer. I think they're going to be a very interesting team. We have the second pick too. Yeah. I mean, like you, you have to understand, we also signed Igor Shesterkin, which is a, a top prospect goalie from uh, the KHL. We signed Vitaly Kratzkov, who's been doing well in the KHL. I wasn't very happy about that pick when we talked about it last uh, in our preview about why they they reached so you know far for him. I'm going to see where Gordon's going with this. We'll see the kid play in training camp this year. He signs an entry-level contract. Um, and we have that second overall pick. Second overall is huge. Uh, it's really huge. And it can go either way. It could be Kako. It could be it could be Hughes, depending on what the Devils want. So, you know, I'm, I'm happy to take either. Both are, are scoring forward. So we'll, um, you know. Oh, no, I'm sorry. Hughes is a defenseman? No, I think, I think they're both forwards. I'm thinking maybe his brother. Yeah. I'm thinking of his brother from the Canucks. Anyway, yeah. they, they, you know, I haven't looked into him because I'm thinking the Devils going to take him anyway. Yeah. Uh, so, <laughs> so yeah, so I think I think the future is bright with the Rangers. Can I go back to the Stanley Cup for a minute? Sure. Can I, can I give a hot take? Sure. A wild card Stanley Cup. Ooh, I like that. So the Hurricanes win, and then either the Dallas Stars, the St. Louis Blues win, or the Avalanche. Excuse me, the Dallas Stars, the Avalanche win. Get Avalanche, like... Hurricane yeah. in the in the Stanley Cup. How cool would that be? Two wild card teams just duking yeah. it out for the yeah. for the Stanley Cup. Yeah, NBC would not be happy with the ratings. I'm sure about that. <laughs> I, I would still watch it. Yeah, I know you would watch it, but Casual America probably won't. I'm sorry. <laughs> Even if it was like the Penguins versus the Vegas Knights, I'm sure ratings would still be down. I don't yeah. think it's the matchups that's wrong with the ratings. That's a whole nother show we could do yeah. about that. But like, there's there's got to be something done with the model. It's not yeah. just the the matchups. Yeah. All right, that's Pete Considori's hot take on the ratings and the Stanley Cup final. Before. Hot take. Yeah. Before I let you go, I know you were a big 
Avengers guy. I did the Avengers podcast last week. So. You did. I, well, I, I'm so mad I didn't get to listen to it yet, but I listened to John Stanko's little Nebula piece. Yes. Very good. Yeah, so Very good. Any, anything you want to add about Avengers? First off, I want to say I saw it opening weekend twice. I saw yeah. it Saturday and Sunday because I'm insane. Um, I do want to comment about Jonathan Stanko's Nebula piece. Sure. So I have to disagree with Jonathan about Jonathan, like I ever call that. <laughs> John, I have to disagree with him about this. I think it was smart for Nebula to be the one that switches everything, that just turns the whole movie around and everything like that. So, spoiler alert, there you go. If you haven't watched the movie, yeah, sorry. I'll, I'll put it up there for you. Yeah. Love it. Yeah. Spoiler alert. Spoiler alert. Um, so... Although, to be fair, the Russo brothers said the spoiler embargo was lifted on Monday, so you're out of luck. If you oh, okay, perfect, perfect. As long as they lifted it. Yeah. Um, so, it makes sense because she's the quote-unquote daughter of Thanos that wants to make him happy, that wants to make him proud, that always has something to prove. Gamora always had that side of her that was like, this is wrong. We shouldn't be doing this. And you see that in Infinity War. You see that in Guardians of the Galaxy that she's helping the you know good guys, whatever. It, it couldn't have been Gamora. Who else would have it been? In the way they did that movie, I want John to tell me who the person would be to tattle. To, to switch that around because I don't think they were able to do it any other way because how else would Thanos know oh they're using this like sh he would have known unless Nebula like Glitches. fried her yeah. head you yeah. know from that battle that so I think it was genius to use her because she is thriving for Thanos's approval yeah. just to be killed anyway yeah. just for the whole plan to be unraveled anyway so um gotta give it to John Stanko John Stanko's the movie master. I like that guy's seen every movie imaginable. He has amazing reviews. He has amazing takes on movies. But I have to disagree with him on the Nebula thing. Yeah, so Stanko might be coming back here in a few weeks. I'm trying to get him on. Yeah, he's gonna, yeah. gonna have a fist fight. Yeah, I'm trying he's to get, gonna fight me over it. Yeah, I'm trying to get him on to do summer movie preview with me. So uh, uh, he's uh, listen. He's phenomenal. This is no disrespect toward him, and I get what he's saying too. It's like such a minuscule character. Why her? But. It's 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 like so powerful. It's like the one person you didn't think. She's like, I'll, I'll do it. Oh, yeah. okay, perfect. Boom, yeah, gone. Yeah. You know, it, it's could they done it a little bit cleaner? Maybe, like maybe. Um, but overall, the movie, I loved it. Uh, I had a lot of hardcore comic book fans come to me and say they didn't like it that much. But of course, you can't please everyone. In my opinion, I think the movie could have been ten minutes longer with the fight scene. I think the fight scene was a little bit short for my taste. It was already at three hours. Make it 310. I mean, well, I understand you have to fill up movie theaters too. That 10 minutes could mess up the logistics, but they could have maybe cut 10 off the top yeah. and put the 10 into the into the fight scene. But overall, that was a great Avengers movie. I will go see it a third time whenever I can recoup the cash and the mm -hmm. time. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, no, fantastic movie. I recommend everyone to see it. If you are going to see Avengers Endgame, though, and I didn't spoil it enough that you guys will still see it, and you haven't seen the other Avengers movies, please take some time, take a weekend to watch the other three Avengers movies, especially Infinity War, so you can understand what's going on in Endgame. But 1 and 2 are referenced, more 1, but 1 and 2 are referenced in this movie, and you want to be able to make sure you understand what's going on. Yeah, a friend of the podcast, Joe D'Aloisio, actually asked me recently, he hasn't seen any of these yet. He said, give me the power rankings of the movies I need to see if I want to just watch it for anymore, have a clue what's going on. So I have that list. I'll run it by you, see what you think about this. This is what I texted Joe. I said, these are the movies you have to see to get this. Mm -hmm. Iron Man 1. Okay. Yeah. Cap 1. Okay. Uh, Avengers 1. Mm -hmm. Cap 2. Guardians 1. Right. Uh, I actually... I did not say you need Age of Ultron. I skipped that. I put Civil War in. Yeah, instead. you really, you really don't need Age of Ultron. It's nice to see it, just so you can see. Because <sighs> I, I put, I put Civil yeah. War in there because yeah, I, Civil War is good because you're getting basically all the same characters from in Age of Ultron, like mm -hmm. further along in development. So, yeah. I mean, look, you, you keep going. I'm sorry, yeah. did I mess not, up your list? There's a couple left. Go ahead. I said Thor Ragnarok. Okay. Uh, Infinity War, mm -hmm. and the the asterisk is if you want, I think Black Panther adds to it. I don't think you need it. Yeah, so I never watched Black Panther. Yeah, um, I knew who he was. I yeah. knew the yeah, the, the gist of it. Yeah, but you can make the argument that all twenty-two movies need to be seen, right? I mean, you really could. I agree with you with Captain America: Civil War. I think Civil War shows the separation of the two groups right before Infinity War. It's not right before, but 
Yeah, basically. Basically before Infinity War. Um, Iron Man 2 is key. Cap 1, I don't know if you really need it. Um, you need to know the love interest of Captain America. You need to know maybe Red Skull. And you get the first space... You get the space stone. Right, you have the space stone too, but it, it's also kind of like in Age of Ultron, you kind of... Yeah. In the in the first movie and the second movie, you kind of know like the Tesseract is yeah. one of the stones. Yeah. You know that Loki's staff yeah. is one of the stones. Yeah. So you don't really need Cap One. It, obviously, watch it because it's Captain America. It's the it's the introduction to him. But I agree with Iron Man. I agree with Guardians of the Galaxy. Such an underrated movie to make sure you see before these movies because you never thought, oh, Guardians of the Galaxy. Like it's key because Gamora's in that and she's the daughter of Thanos and all that stuff. Age of Ultron, you don't need to see it, but it does reference the Infinity Stones. It does introduce the Infinity Stones. Yeah. Thor goes into the reflecting pool, sees the dream that Scarlet Witch gave him, and he says, there's Infinity Stones. There's six of them, and they all have a different power, and, and there's a gauntlet, and Thanos. Yeah. You know, all this stuff comes together, um, and you have to watch Infinity War and all that stuff, too. Um, there's a lot that you need to kind of know after the movie, too. I would say after you see Endgame, look up some theories or things that you didn't know about. So, again, I'm going to throw another spoiler out there. So, spoiler alert. Let's get that tone. Perfect. I love it. That thing's awesome. I need that for, like, my phone when someone's <laughs> calling me and I don't want to answer it. Just have that. Yeah, I'll get so, that to you off air. So, yeah, thank you. So, the spoiler of this is Captain America gets to pick up Thor's hammer in Endgame. Yeah. Uh he almost picks it up in Age of Ultron, but he can't. It moves a little bit, and you see Thor gets a little nervous because whoever picks up the Thor's hammer is is worthy of taking the throne of Thor. I mean, yeah. the throne of Asgard. He's able to pick up the the hammer now because he finally reveals a secret that he's been hiding from Tony Stark up until Civil War, yeah. which was Bucky, who was the Winter Soldier, who was taken by Hydra, who was brainwashed. He was Captain America's friend. Um, Bucky killed Tony Stark's parents. And because he didn't tell that to Tony until Civil War, he was not worthy to pick up that hammer. So that's like a cool little Easter egg to have after it. Um, one point about Age of Ultron that you didn't have it in there, it does introduce Quicksilver and Scarlet Witch. And I think those characters are a little bit key to the whole universe. But if you want to skip Age of Ultron, you skip Age of Ultron. You'll still like the movies. Yeah, you'll still like the movies. And I think that's it's a fun thing. And obviously, if, if you guys like Avengers, if you have not listened to the Avenger Recap Podcast yet, please go back in the archives and do that. It was a lot of fun, and we had a lot of good I still need to do it. I'm a terrible friend. Uh, I'm yeah. sorry. <laughs> I, haven't, I haven't listened to it yet, but I will. I promise. Yeah, but you know what? It gets me more plays later on, so that's plus. You're right. See? I... I was thinking of you subconsciously, but I was like, oh, you know what I'm going to do? Yeah, I like that. It'll make me feel happy. I go on SoundCloud. I see, oh, somebody listened to Age of Ultron today. <laughs> I'm like, oh, it's Pete. Cool. There it is. Boom. <laughs> all right. All right, Pete. Thanks for all the time. Before I let you go, y'all, everybody know how to follow you on social media? Yeah, on Twitter, at PJConsidori29. My last name's C-O-N-S-A-D-O-R-I. I'm retweeting a bunch of hockey stuff at the moment, Stanley Cup stuff. Uh, haven't really had any hot takes about Avengers or, or anything like that previously to the movie. So you'll just see mainly hockey stuff. But uh, as always, thank you so much for having me on. And make sure you listen to this guy. I mean, he's got great podcasts. He's got baseball, basketball, football. He's got it all. So make sure you don't just listen to this one thing. Go to his catalog. Listen to all those as well. I appreciate it. Thanks for the big plug, Pete. Yeah, no problem. Yeah, and, and speaking of interesting content, up next, I actually am talking to a former Iona Gale legend, uh, oh. Steve Burt Jr., the okay. second all-time leading scorer in Iona basketball history. Wow. My chat with him is coming up right after this. Burt was the hero yesterday. It's a 17-5 run, my making 25. Goodness. Oh, my goodness. Steve Burt. Point game. Bayheim's Army was up 22 at the 12-32 mark. But Steven Burt Jr. and Gale Nation cruising back into this one. All right, we are back on the Just End the Suffering podcast. That call is her courtesy of ESPN's coverage of the TBT basketball tournament last year. And the guy who hit that shot, Steve Burt Jr., is who I'll be talking to in just a moment. A little background on Steve Burt Jr. He played at Iona College from 2002 through 2006. He's the school's second all-time leading scorer behind his father, Steve Burt Sr., who played here in the 80s. And after finishing his career at Iona. He's had a long, successful career overseas. I recently had a chance to sit down with Steve in my interview with him. We will hear that right now. All right, I have on the line with me a a basketball player 
act, first active player I've had on this podcast, a a guard for the Red Mo, Cretan Kings, out in Greece. He's the second leading scorer in Iona basketball history. I am talking to Steve Burt Jr. Steve, welcome. How are you? Thanks, man. I'm doing good. Thanks for having me. Not a problem, Steve. I start out, let everybody know how you are, with an interesting fact that I learned the other day. There are two guards, two father-son duos in NCAA history to score over 2,000 points. One is, obviously, Dell and Steph Curry. The other is you, you and your dad, Steve Burt Sr. Did your dad inspire you to pursue basketball? Um, yeah, but knowingly. You know, I just, just growing up around him and uh, just watching him play and, and watching what he was able, you know, the things he was able to accomplish, the things I was able to see him do and the things I heard that he had done, uh, I just fell in love with the game. Yeah, I, I saw your dad play in the NBA. Was that before your time or – uh, early, yeah, but I was able to see later, like around uh, 91, 92, around those years, I was I was old enough to remember. Any fun memories from his from hanging out with your dad when he was in the NBA? Yeah, that, that season, uh, he was with the Phoenix Suns, and uh, I, I went out there for about a week, I think it was Easter vacation, actually, and um, I got to go out there and... Uh, I actually got to see a, a game or two, and it was pretty cool. Got to meet the players and stuff like that. So it was an, it was an awesome experience. Which of your dad's teammates is your favorite player when you were when he was on the Suns? Kevin Johnson. Oh, cool! Sure. The mayor. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah. So how did how did you end up at Iona? Because I'm assuming your dad had a little bit of influence on you. Say, hey, hey, Steve, you want you should go here too. I had a great time here. So he sold it a bit, of course. You know, his alma mater. So. Definitely uh, put his bid in, but uh, I just felt I felt comfortable going there. And uh, one of the assistant coaches was Tony Childs at the time, and he was uh, he's one of my best friends and like an uncle to me. And uh, I just felt the felt the level of comfortability there. I had a very close relationship with my grandmother uh, at the time, and um, it just felt like a good fit. And um, you know, having my dad go there and then uh, uh, close family friend be one of the assistant coaches i just felt i'd be in good hands yeah you were definitely in good hands you also got to play under another legendary gale jeff ruling was the head coach back then what was it like having him as a coach it was cool man uh jeff was a little crazy uh but <laughs> you know fortunately for me i was i was used to that uh that type of coaching that type of motivation um it was cool though man having a guy with so much uh basketball knowledge you know, just to, it was good for us and uh, the group we had actually, you know, coming up together, the four of us, um, you know, coming up under him and, and learning the game from that perspective, from a pro perspective, you know. Yeah, it was definitely a valuable perspective. I mean, you guys were on that 05 06 team that I think may have been one of the best in Iona history because you guys won a neutral court tournament at Iowa State. Now you lost yeah. to a ranked Kentucky team at, in Rupp, which was very impressive. And, earned a 13 C in the NCAA tournament. What was that year like? What was like your big takeaway from that season? It was a business year. I mean, it was fun, but we were so committed because of how close we had gotten the year before. Uh, personally, for me, just having uh, made a key turnover in that tournament, uh, in the MAC tournament the year before. And um, it really stuck with me um, coming in and, uh, we were just, you know, having four. We had five seniors on that team, and it was just, it was real business. And, you know, we uh, we got a lot done. And we took it, we took it very serious. We enjoyed it, uh, but we took it real serious, man. And uh, it ended up being a, a great year for all of us. Yeah, you guys end up in the first round of the NCAA tournament. You get the LSU team that has Tyrus Thomas and uh, Glenn Big Baby Davis on it. People don't remember yeah. you were actually leading these guys at the half in that game before they we came were up at half. Yes, <laughs> yeah. I remember I picked I picked Iona in my bracket that year. I was watch you guys play. I'm like these guys can handle anybody. And then LSU comes back and wins. So what was it like to face that team, which ends up going to the final four that year? You know, I thought we had them. To be honest with you, man, we we came out we came out strong, and uh, they ended up going zone, and they were a really big uh, team, tall, uh, long arms. Um, and we struggled with that, you know, but it was still satisfying, you know, to know that they, man to man, they couldn't really deal with us, uh, especially me and Ricky in the backcourt. And um, they went on and we struggled with that, struggled uh, shooting from the outside. And 
but it was it was a fun experience. You know, we came that close, like you said before, uh, that coming close to being that Kentucky team and uh, just challenging guys. You know, coming from a little school and not having that respect coming in, guys probably you know underestimating us and just just stepping up to that challenge and, and having people know your name afterwards. Yeah, for sure. I mean, that was the end of your Iona career. Then you don't go, don't get drafted in the NBA. You decided to go mm-hmm. overseas. Can you tell me what it's like to play professionally outside the U.S.? Because obviously everybody in this country is just obsessed with the NBA, the G League, and don't really pay attention to what's right. going on in the rest of the world. So what's it like to just pack up and go bounce around Europe and play professionally there? Um, it, is, it is an experience, let me tell you. Uh, you know, it's completely different outside of uh, just becoming a pro. You know, and, and now being it, it being a business, um, you're in a whole different country, a whole another culture, a whole another way of life, way of living. Um, I was fortunate, you know, having uh, traveled the world with my dad, being fortunate enough to have done that when he was uh, playing overseas. So I wasn't as shocked culturally. I kind of knew what I was getting into, but I still had to adjust to the fact that I was uh, in a business now. I was part of a business. I was an employee, uh, essentially, in uh, it's it's different. You 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 go through your ups and, and your downs, but it's it's an equally amazing experience because you get to see the world, man, and see uh, places and, and things that some people never get to see in a lifetime. Yeah, I mean, I look at the back of your baseball basketball card for reference here. I mean, you played in Spain, Cyprus, Ukraine, Turkey, Russia, Poland, Lebanon, China, Greece, just to name a few. So <laughs> Israel too. Yeah. yeah, Israel too. So, what's been your favorite place to play? From a I would, from a basketball point of view, I would probably have to say Spain because it, it is probably the top league in Europe, uh, probably second in the world to the NBA uh, league-wise, and just so as far as competition and um, things like that, it was it was it was definitely a, and one of the biggest challenges and stuff like that. So it was fun to to, to uh, compete in that league. Um, yeah. Yeah. So, who's your favorite teammate that you've had over the years? Anybody like? just stick out to you like oh like i love playing with that guy oh man let me see i've had so many but um i would probably say uh uh, two people uh kid charles thomas he is uh he's actually still playing he's a few years younger than me uh but he went to arkansas and i met him when i got to ukraine and he was on my team, and just an athletic dog. Like, seriously, athletic, could shoot the ball. Uh, was definitely a big uh, part of my success there. Uh, playing the one, just having somebody that could run the flow with me, I could pass to. Um, definitely uh, him. He's actually, you know, one of the guys I'm still friends with to this day. And uh, I would say Quintel Woods, uh, another guy that I met when I met I knew of him. Uh, obviously, he's a a draft pick. He's a guy that played in the NBA, and uh, so I knew who he was. But he actually ended up on another a team in Ukraine as well, but uh, a different year. He ended up on my uh, on my team as well, and we built a bond, you know, basketball wise for sure. But outside of basketball, the way those guys remain uh, personal friends after. That's great. And also, another thing that people may not know is that the last few years. You've been a player on the Gale Nation team in the TBT tournament. It's a basketball tournament. Iona's, yeah, yeah, a bunch of Iona alumni on a team that compete in it. Can you break down what that tournament is and how you got involved in it? Uh, well, the TBT is a, a tournament that takes place in the summer for. Uh, well, when it started, it was for one million dollars, and I think they bumped it up to two million dollars. Um, but when it came around, I was actually approached uh, by staff and. You know, at that point, I, I there were very little people there who were who were there when I went there. Uh, so I was definitely uh, flattered and honored to be asked with guys who you know only knew of me uh, but didn't know me personally. And they asked me to jump on board. And, you know, anything Gail related, I'm I'm for it. I'm with it. That's uh, that's my home, uh, and I love to do anything. You know, just in support of that, in support of that cause. And so I was. Uh, Definitely more than willing to play and uh, and and go out there with uh, guys that I, I knew personally, but I never had the chance to play with uh, as Gales. And you know, it was fun. It was it was definitely a fun experience. Yeah, I mean, there's a lot of guys on this team from the Tim Cluis era. Have you like had a chance to meet Coach Cluis and tell me what he's like? 
yeah, I actually have. I've gone to a few times. I've practiced with those guys uh, in, in, in some years, uh, some summers, an off season for me, and, and um, you know, going up there and worked out, talked to him. Uh, no, he's definitely a cool guy, laid back. I, I would personally love to play for him. He's an up and down coach, likes to get the ball moving, get the ball up in the air, uh, get a lot of shots up. Um, real fast-paced game, and and he's done uh, an outstanding job uh, in the last uh, seven years, you know, six six years or something like that uh, with the school. Man, I've loved what he's done with it four four uh, titles in a row. He's done an amazing job there. Yeah, it's crazy what he's been able to do here. I was I was surprised St. John's didn't make a run at him, but we're lucky that they were stupid enough to not realize that he was such a big asset to this to this area. Yeah, no, I definitely actually read that the other day that, that he was uh he kind of I think he kind of backed away from it. I what I what I read, I think he he didn't want to. Uh but no, they they were definitely missing out having a, a coach like him in their in their program, but hey, we get to keep him and you know, hopefully we can keep winning. Yeah, last year you are on Gale Nation. You guys won around last year, narrowly missed a trip to the Super 16. How's the squad looking this year? Uh well, we've just actually probably in the last Starting talks and getting guys, you know, they've been reaching out to guys. Uh, but I think we got a strong team. We got a, most of the guys that were there last summer. Uh, a couple of new faces and, and guys that I'm excited to play with, and, and guys that I think we can make really, we can really make a run. And they changed the uh, the format a bit to where if you win your region, there's a prize for that. You know, it's not just only the champion. Got to go all the way to win some money. So that's, you know, more of an incentive to, to go out and give your all and, and play hard. I'm up for the challenge with the guys that we got. I think we really got a chance. Yeah, I saw some of the guys on the roster. You had some of the guys on last year, some new faces there. Zach Lewis, who I know from this program, and he, he's definitely going to be a good fit to the team. Ricky McGill, that's the uh, four-year starter for Iona, who's, been, I think, the first player in MAC history to go to four tournaments. So you guys got a loaded roster. No, yeah, we, we, we come into play, man. I'm excited to get again to get to play with those guys. These are guys that I've seen, guys that I've you know played a little pick up with or watched them when I've come to the school or come to games, but never had the pleasure of going out there and playing with them. So I'm definitely excited for that opportunity to go out and compete with them. All right, so if people want to support the Gale Nation team, how would they do that? Um, it's all through the uh, the website, uh, the TBT website. Um, but you go in there. And uh, you search for our team, Gale Nation, and you uh, you just click uh, the link to, to support us. Uh, the more fans, the better. Uh, we actually need the fans. Actually, I think they changed that as well as far as getting in. But uh, the fan votes are definitely important, and we can use it. We've always had it, though, so I'm not worried about that and getting that support from us, uh, for us, and everything like that. You can kind of support from me. Uh, Steve, thanks for all the time. really appreciate it. Oh, thanks for having me, man. I appreciate it. All right, and that was Steve Burt Jr., former Iona Gale, playing overseas with the Redney Mount Cretan Kings. We'll be back in the States this summer to participate in Gale Nation. We'll have more on Gale Nation next week when we talk to John Kiggins, the, sh- the founder of Gale Nation, the squad that will be competing in the TBT tournament this summer. Up next, this week's two-minute drill, where we dive into the controversy surrounding the Kentucky Derby and disqualification of the Original winner, Maximum Security, right after this. They disqualified it. They did. So for the first time in the history of the Kentucky Derby, the horse that crossed the line first has been disqualified. After the objection, Country House wins the Kentucky Derby with Flavian Pratt at 65-1. to Do you think he should have stayed up? I don't know. One of the longest shots in history to win the Derby after one of the longest waits ever after the Derby. All right, that call you just heard courtesy of NBC Sports' Mike Tirico. And this was after the Kentucky Derby. We had a very long wait at the end of the Derby where Country House wins the Derby on a DQ. The first time ever the winner has been disqualified due to an on-track violation over an interference ruling. And Country House at 65-1, to one, one of the longest shots in recent memory to win the Derby. Now, let me say this. You'd be surprised I'm into this thing, but I got into it a couple of years ago, had some fun, went down to off-track betting, placed some bets, had some fun seeing how the kinds of payouts you can win. I went down to Saturday, placed a few bets. Give you an example of how much money 
changes hands in this race. The $2 exacta bet, which is you pick the horses that come in first and second place in that order. So in this race, Country House wins, Coat of Honor finishes second. That bet for $2 paid over 3000 that's insane right there the $1 superfecta where you pick the top 4 horses in order paid over $51,000 grand on a dollar and you can see how much the gambling aspect dominates this thing now I'll be honest I didn't win my best did not come in I was not affected by the outcome, however. I was not affected by the DQ. But I was one of the few who was lucky that way. Over $9 million changed hands from this DQ. So here's what happened for those who did not see the race. It's basically the number seven horse, maximum security, leads this race pretty much start to finish, cruises through the race, looks like the best horse in the field, wins, but on the final turn, gets spooked by the crowd. Now, when these horses, they start off in the post positions of like 1 to 19, come out of the gate, start running, and then you settle into certain running lanes. Picture this way. We're running a race. I am in lane two. Let's say, for example, Pete, who was here earlier during the hockey, he's in lane three. Let's say Steve Burt, our, our guy I talked to, is on lane four. Now, I'm running in lane two. If I jumped over into lane three... I would interfere with Pete's ability in lane three to run the race. Therefore, I should be disqualified. That's basically what happened here, where maximum security is in a lane. He gets spooked, jumps to a different lane, gets in the way of War of Will, who bumps into Long Race Toddy, who then bumps into other horses near the eventual winner, Country House. Even though this did not affect Country House's chances of winning this race, it's not legal. It's very, very dangerous because... These horses are going very fast and very narrow spaces, so you could be risking injury. So it's unprecedented, but people in the know for horse racing feel that this was the correct call. Friend of the podcast, Mark Malusis, the other day tweeted to John Dostremsky, I think it was the right call, but Country House had an entire stretch to pass him, and he could not. Maximum Security was the best horse today. So I was a little confused by this i wanted to make sure i understood what's going on so i asked moose i asked him would you ignore the interference call is it wouldn't have affected the outcome of the race because that's the way i read it i said you know what is he saying that this horse would have won the race anyway we should ignore it moose replied to me he said no not saying that i don't think maximum security was ever getting passed by country house i do think the right call was made but i can understand why people were upset with the decision and i get it it doesn't look right it doesn't look like it was such a big deal that the horse jumped over. It didn't affect the horse that ended up winning the race. It did not affect him at all. So I can understand why people are saying, you know, oh, how can you do this? How can you change the ruling on the field? But you know what? In the spirit of the rules, the correct call was made. It's the same deal in the NBA where you say, you know what? If it's a foul in the first quarter, it should be a foul in the fourth quarter. If maximum security did this on the very first turn of the race, it would have been DQ'd right away, and we would not have this big a deal. They would have come out quickly and said, you know what, back early, it would have been easy foul call. Just because it happens on the home stretch does not mean it should swallow the whistles there. At the same time, not a good look for the sport. Not at all. Number one, should not be wasting 22 minutes to make this decision. Once you had the one angle, and you could see clearly that he jumps in another lane and impacts the other horses the reversal should have been made it should have been made immediately and the fact we need 22 minutes to do that makes horse racing look like a joke that's number one and we got stuck sitting there for 20 minutes where everybody's going just basically running the same replays should they reverse it should they not and if i recall correctly in the first few minutes al saying you can see the impediment but did it affect the course of the race? That is the question. It's the biggest sports controversy on just a ruling since that NFC title game call where the refs did not throw the flag on Nickel Roby Coleman when he interfered with the Saint receiver. And 
right now, the race did not end with the winner crossing the finish line. It ended with an announcement over a PA system after a 22-minute wait saying that the race was being changed and that Country House won. And this Triple Crown season is not going to be defined by whether or not the wrong horse won. And now the news comes today that Country House not running this race. He's not running the Preakness because the horse is getting sick. That's on top of Maximum Security, who withdrew from the Preakness the day before that because, as the owner correctly points out, he has nothing to gain from running this race. The two most notorious horses from the Kentucky Derby, Maximum Security, who crossed the line first, and Country House, who won the race, neither one of them is going to be there. Now, this is great if you're a better like me, because now the two favorites are out, so you're going to look at the lines for the favorites, for the, for the Preakness, for the Belmont Stakes, and you're going to get some good odds. You're going to have some good betting, some good money to be made on those races. But for the sport, it's terrible. You're getting no Triple Crown push this year. The most interesting horses that to the country are out, and NBC must be very disappointed because they can't even capitalize on the country house like hype train anymore because they're gone. The horse is gone. Maybe he's back for Belmont. We'll see, but it's not great for horse racing right now. That's going to do it for this week's show. I want to thank my guest, Pete Considori, for stopping by to talk some hockey once again. Always fun chatting hockey with Pete. I also want to thank Steve Burr Jr. from calling in all the way from Greece, by the way. I did not mention that earlier, that he called from Greece to discuss his career, Iona, and his international career, and looking ahead to Gale Nation. If you want more good stuff like this podcast, including my look at Roger Federer's return to Clay for the first time in three years this week, check out the blog over at justandthesuffering.wordpress.com. You can also check out our bonus Avengers Endgame podcast. I spoke to Sandra Rosa, our pop culture correspondent, Will Schneiderhan, and John Stenko last week about the movie. It's a lot of fun. I recommend you go back in the archives. Check that one out if you haven't already. You can subscribe to the podcast on iTunes, Google Play, Stitcher, TuneIn. Go to any of those outlets. Search for Just End the Suffering. It will be there. All the old episodes are there. Feel free with your feedback and star ratings or help make this show even better going forward. You also follow me on Twitter at mphillips331. That's M-P-H-I-L-I-P-S-331. And tweet at me with the hashtag GaleNation to me at the end of this week's show. Next week, we are going to dive back into the world of golf because the PGA Championship is actually coming to New York this year. It's going to be held out on Long Island on Beth Page Black. We're going to talk about that. Talk to John Kiggins next week where we will break down the founding of Gale Nation, his experience with the Iona program, and what this whole TBT tournament is all about and some more good stuff coming. Until then, I'll be a better week than Islander fans. 